0: Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Starr, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe.
1: And I'm Brenna.
0: And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe, on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase, Treaty 13 of 1805
1: and on the Tecumloops Tay Te Shwetmik territory within the unceded traditional lands of Shwetmik And today's text, Reservation Dogs, is set in the Muscogee Nation in what is now called Oklahoma, because mm-hmm. Joe.
0: Yes. actually
1: looking at an indigenous text this week. Act
0: <laughs> Y'all would have seen a stolen food truck, would you? Um, no. Oh. Someone stole the truck Broad daylight. Put your seatbelt on. Seatbelt. People safety. We're stealing a f- chip truck. I do not give a this shit, man. Put your seatbelt on. We're not Go. Curling's full of chips?
1: I've never seen anything like that. You're good thieves. Best in town. Oh, thank you. It is a small town. That's just how I like it. Tell your friends. I don't have any. Go get some then. Okay. We could be in California as soon as two months. California, here we come. You and your buggy-ass friends. What are you gonna fight for? Ah! Nah, I just no idea. What? What? You guys
0: watching this? it took me like a month i gang gangers, both red and blue. Indian Mafia couldn't make up their minds if they want to be bloods or crips more. Maybe they're blips, or maybe they're cruds. It's easy to be bad, like the man. It's hard to be a warrior with dignity. When a glack go pop pop pop, bullets can't be stopped. That lineman shot when a glack go pop pop pop. You better believe we're shutting down shop when a go pop, pop pop Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we mentioned it uh for the last couple of weeks that we were looking forward to actually doing something more than just our straightforward land acknowledgement. And I have to say, not only does it feel good to be talking about Indigenous texts again, but what a solid Indigenous text this is.
1: I really enjoyed watching this show. I was texting with Joe, like, it's rare for me to find or make the time to binge something. Mm -hmm. And I basically watched this whole series in two days. I just really, really, really genuinely enjoyed it. And it was also so refreshing. Just different perspective, different Mm -hmm. setting. Almost all of the cast and production team are indigenous. Maybe we should say indigenous to Turtle Island. There's folks from the territories now known as Canada and the U.S. involved in this series but the series itself is just so compelling like it's Mm -hmm. it's funny and it's raw and it's wry and it's tragic it's like uh, it's just it's really compelling television frankly
0: (laughs) indeed yeah so this is airing on disney plus in canada which is honestly a bit of a head scratcher but (laughs) (laughs) this is what happens when we have fewer streaming services in this country and then It's on uh, FX on Hulu in the US, and to me... This is very emblematic of the kind of programming that they do. It's high quality, it looks expensive, but it also manages to toe the line between humor and drama with a certain amount of pathos really well. So this is actually, you know, it's very on brand for them. And yet, of course, because we are so unused to seeing so many indigenous actors and so much indigenous talent, it feels groundbreaking, which is a bit of a sad state of affairs.
1: You know, the first show I ever watched with a predominantly indigenous cast would have been The Rez, which was the TV show spinoff of Mm -hmm. Dance Me Outside. That was 1996. And you would think that in the intervening, let's not count how many years, Mm -hmm. um, between that and this, we would have lots of other examples to point to, but we really don't. I don't know if you've watched any of Rutherford Falls. I haven't checked that one out yet. There's a lot of cast crossover between that series and this one. But yeah, there's just not a lot of examples out there.
0: This is true. I have not seen Rutherford Falls, but I have been told numerous times by my best friend Daniel that it is very funny. And honestly, one of my favorite... I guess we could say cameo or very supporting secondary characters from Reservation Dogs is one of the lead actors on that show. And that's almost enough of an endorsement to get me to watch it because I thought that Janna Schmielding as Bev, the IHS clinic receptionist, was <laughs> so funny, I died. <laughs>
1: She was amazing and such good comic timing because ultimately playing like a pretty straight character, like none of her lines are actually jokes, but the Mm -hmm. way that she engages with our protagonists in that episode and just like these subtle like eyebrow rays or like, yeah, great. Just fantastic. Joe actually texted me and was like, I aspire to be this receptionist. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) You can do it, Joe. I believe in you. (laughs) I can
0: do it. Yeah, and maybe let's just quickly run through uh, some of these people. So Reservation Dogs is created by Sterling Hargo, as well as Taika Waititi, and I... I gathered that Taika Waititi has contributed to the creative process, but it also seems like his name is what helped to get this main. Obviously, a very notable indigenous figure from New Zealand associated with Marvel movies and so on. Not an unproblematic person who sometimes sticks his foot in his mouth, but really the person behind this is uh, Sterling Harjo.
1: And Sterling Harjo actually is part of a, or was, I'm not sure if he's still in it, but it was a comedy group called like. I don't know. I think they were called, yeah, the 1491s. They were Mm -hmm. an indigenous comedy group. And that is a lot of the vibe that underlies this show. And also a lot of the people he worked with in that sketch comedy group come in as the supporting cast on this show. Mm. Um, And I think, you know, you do get this feeling, like for a first season of a show, it feels very together. Like these Mm -hmm. folks have worked with each other before. There's really a kind of It feels pretty like it knows its voice and it's pretty polished for a first season. And I think Mm -hmm. that might have something to do with it.
0: Interesting. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's something to be said for people working together on multiple projects because they do have that camaraderie. But I agree with you. Yeah, it feels strong right out of the gate. Mm Mm-hmm. So we've got a cast that is composed of four teenagers who live on the res in a small town. They are very, very eager to leave town and get to California. So we have Bear, who is played by Deferro Wunatai, Alora Dannon, which killed me in those first couple of episodes when she has to keep explaining the name. <laughs> played by mm-hmm. Deverly jacobs willie jack played by paulina alexis and cheese who is played by lane factor and a lot of the series just involves around different antics that they get up to either involving tribal elders or scams that they're doing to make money so that they can fund their trip to california there's also the introduction of a rival i'm using crew in quotations because they are not a gang they just get labeled as such and the leader of this other gang is Jackie played by Elva Guerra and then we've also got adults in here in the mix so we've got little Mike and Funny Bone as Mose and meko and they are indigenous rappers who became famous because they appeared on America's Got Talent we've got Zane McLaren as Big the tribal police officer Sarah Pademski as Rita, Bear's mother, Gary Farmer as Alora's uncle Brownie, and then there's a fictitious character that Bear sometimes sees when he is knocked out or yeah, just <laughs> sees at random times, uh and that's Dallas Goodtooth, uh who plays William knifeman aka Spirit.
1: One of the things I really like about the show is the way it is unflinching in Combining the sort of spiritual world with the mm-hmm. physical realm, um, right. you know, we've talked about this before. Of this idea of like, oftentimes, settler critics in particular will label indigenous literature as being "quote unquote" magic realism and. Mm-hmm. We've talked before about how folks like Eden Robinson have said, no, it's not magic realism. It's just real. This is just what reality is. It's a blending of these worlds. And uh, the show does that very well, often to very comic effect, but sometimes Mm -hmm. to deeply moving effect. It's quite cool.
0: Yeah, um, it's not one of my favorite episodes, but there is one episode, sort of the middle stretch of episodes, each character kind of gets their own standalone, or we get to learn more about them. And Cheese goes on a ride along with Big and part of this is we get an understanding of why big became the tribal police officer and it's because of various encounters through his life with a deer woman and having read stephen graham jones's adult horror fiction he wrote a book that plays on this idea of a almost like a shape-shifting woman who will exact revenge against primarily bad men mm. and it was really interesting to see this represented in still a threatening way, but also in a this is our lived experience, our relationship to culture and spiritualism definitely informs who we become. And I thought it was an interesting way to explore why Big becomes the person he does.
1: I actually was surprised by how much I enjoyed that episode, and particularly how much I enjoyed learning more about big and his history
0: mm-hmm.
1: so as you already said joe Bigs played by zon McLaren. and something that i noticed in a lot of the particularly indigenous written critiques of the show or uh, responses or reviews was a real sense of gratitude to see this actor who obviously mm-hmm. has a lot of range getting yep. to play something other than sort of the noble stoic kind of like quote-unquote cigar store indian type character like right. getting him to be funny and loose and this character with a true backstory which is really rare for the roles he often gets cast in is mm-hmm. really refreshing and i genuinely enjoyed his portrayal that episode i don't know if it's the strongest within the series itself no. but i really liked learning more about both big and cheese um, mm-hmm. because i think both of those are characters who i i don't know they're they are both very much comic relief most yes. of the time in the series but i really liked both of them i find them both quite charming to watch
0: Mm-hmm. And that's also an episode that features Wes Studi, who is an actor that I've seen in a bunch of different things. And he also gets to play kind of against type by just being a bit of a pot smoking
1: laze yeah. about. <laughs> and yes.
0: it's enjoyable because one of the things as a white settler, when we watch this show is, we're looking to see whether or not this is going to be familiar depictions of indigenous peoples, you know, are they going to fall back onto stereotypes that we have seen in settler-made productions that feature this kind of quote-unquote noble savage or the the wise elder who is going to come in and and help solve a murder mystery or something like this and one of the things i really really liked about the show is that we get this diverse range like we get a bunch of characters who are in touch with their culture and their background but also we get a bunch of people who are just like living their lives and doing dumb stuff. And it's really enjoyable just to see, yeah, these are all people. They are not what white people think of them as. They're just people living their lives.
1: Well, one of the biggest problems with settler depictions of Indigenous life is that settler art tends to depict Indigenous life as something that happened in the past, like that exists in the past tense. And Mm -hmm. instead, in this series, you get things like, Auntie B, who's a beater who does beautiful beadwork, but she answers the door, like, ready to shoot you. And (laughs) mostly she's right now currently into beading pickles. All she wants to bead are pickles. And so you get these characters who, like, they exist in the modern world. They exist in the real world. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a real sense of just presence, right? Right. By having such a, a richly layered cast... By not just focusing on the kids, although I think the show gets a good balance of kids to adult ratio, because that's something mm-hmm. we've talked about a lot before, right? Like, right. we don't want to get bogged down with adult stories. The ones we get, I think, are really effective. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we end up with this layered depiction of a real community that is very amusing
0: yeah and of course if you want to feel like we're being made fun of we also have spirit who is more along the Mm -hmm. lines of that traditional depiction we would see in settler colonial texts and even that like as played by uh gold tooth this character is not what you would expect right the horse that the character was riding on fell into a gopher hole and he was crushed under his horse it's like okay (laughs) you know yeah he was at the the battle of custard and it just <laughs> it did not work out for him so
1: <laughs> it's i just said really custard
0: good. too didn't i anyway you
1: did yeah i think you should leave that one in <laughs> my favorite character for sort of the making fun of the settler audience is kirk fox playing kenny oh, okay. boy yeah so kenny boy runs the scrapyard and he's like he's sort of this white guy who has adopted like this pan indigenous like Mm -hmm. he quotes from random indigenous nations and he uses language inappropriately and he uses phrases the way that he decides they should be meant and it's Mm -hmm. like you can tell that he thinks he's being deeply respectful but really he's just being like a very classic colonizer figure and Mm -hmm. the way the kids react to him is those are some of the funniest scenes to me because he's yeah I don't know. I just really enjoyed that portrayal. I thought it was very clever um, oh, yes. and a really nice counterbalance.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the enjoyable things about these teens is that they are teens through and through. They have eye rolls for every adult who is well-meaning or overprotective. All they want to do is get some fast money so that they can get out of here. And they're very relatable, right? Like they feel grounded and well-drawn. They're distinct from one another, but also, you know, yeah, they've each got their own sort of pressing things. And I love the journey that the show takes us on because there's only eight episodes and they're, you know, sitcom length. So it's 22 to 24 minutes. But the show starts by making you think, oh, these are juvenile delinquents. Mm -hmm. Our introduction to them is that they are stealing a chip truck so that they can sell it and make money to go to California and you think oh okay well this is gonna be the bad res kids Mm -hmm. and it's not untrue because yes they are committing a bunch of bad crimes actually against their own community but you learn over time what is driving them and that they are real people with real issues they are dealing with a lot of trauma but this show is not trauma porn which it could have very easily gone into But yeah, there's a specter of a dead friend looming over the show. And Reservation Dogs is very clever at how it sort of doles out information about just what happened with Daniel the year before.
1: Yeah, it's I I agree with you, Joe. So Episode 7 in particular, and we should say for folks who haven't checked out the show, we should issue a, a bit of a content warning. Mm hmm particularly for episode seven, maybe episode six, there is very frank discussion of suicide. That's how Daniel, the kind of missing friend, died. And so we have this specter that haunts the show. And in many ways, Mm -hmm. Daniel is a specter that haunts these characters, Mm -hmm. because they all want to go to California, really to fulfill Daniel's dream. Mm -hmm. Like, as the show progresses, you realize that even Alora, who is the most gung-ho about getting the money to get to California, even she is doing it to fulfill what she believes Daniel would have done if he had survived. Mm-hmm. So, and she is deeply impacted from the trauma of having been the one who found Daniel. And all of that could make the show extremely heavy, hard to watch, and it would yep. be well within its rights to tell that story. Yep. And that really was the tone that something like Firesong took, right? right. But- Harjo has taken a very different tack here, which is that these kids are impacted by trauma, but trauma is not the central focus of their daily lives. Mm -hmm. The central focus of their daily lives is trying to buy a beaded necklace that looks like a microphone, but kind of just looks like a penis or (laughs) stealing a chip truck and trying to convince the scrap metal guy to let them keep the chips since he doesn't need them you know like the the episodic nature of the show allows us to have funny hilarious weird (laughs) moments Mm -hmm. but we also slowly discover the underlying story of these characters and the the blend is very effective
0: yes yes oh very very effective and I feel like the show is clever at almost sneaking it in on you because that first episode, very traditional introduction to this environment, these characters, some of the struggles, but you don't anticipate that we're going to go to these really dark places. And then the next couple of episodes makes it feel like, oh, these are slice of life. That's the stories we're going to tell. It's going to be. Here's what life looks like when we're trying to sell meat pies in front of the indigenous medical center. And there's funny (laughs) interactions there's sad interactions, but it's it's fairly, I was going to say light, but it's approachable. It's very Mm -hmm. accessible. And then each episode that moves forward, we sort of start to get a little bit more of it. Like we realize there is a lot more to the show than just that.
1: I think episode 6 and 7 are the best episodes. Yeah. Um but I have to say that the episode where they go to the IHS clinic is my favorite mm-hmm. episode. Yes. There are so many hilarious moments like that receptionist the line that she says when Alora's like do you want to buy some meat pies and the receptionist is like do I want to buy meat pies from you when you have stomach pains? And mm-hmm. She's like, uh-huh. And then she asks her, like, there's just these beats. Or when Big is like, oh, you shouldn't buy soda. Like, sugar's really bad for our people. And mm-hmm. so Bear says, well, what are you buying? And he's like, I'm buying this energy drink. It's made of energy. Like, yeah. there's so many just broad, organic. funny moments. <laughs> oh, it's organic these broad funny moments but you also you know it's a classic bottle episode because they're stuck at the clinic waiting to be called waiting to have their number called Mm -hmm. and so they can't go very far and so you have all of this kind of character development in and amongst these very odd characters Mm -hmm. who they meet including the doctor who is just like completely outlandish Mm -hmm. and that i think is when the show is at its best actually is when it's finding the humor in what is ultimately like a bad situation right people have Mm -hmm. to line up all day to get the medical care that they need they may not see a doctor who is in any way qualified like all of that could be extremely dark but Mm -hmm. what we have instead is Harjo really mining that for humor
0: yeah and you know thinking about episode six which you mentioned which is mostly about willie jack and her father going on a hunt on the first day that they can do so and you know we learn over time that the land that they are hunting on is actually owned by texas ranchers who are never there and there's talk about oh well do you think they would ever get the land back and the answer is no Mm -hmm. but It doesn't stop them from going on to the land. And then they realize, oh, we're actually being videotaped by a bunch of cameras. So they set out to find the camera and then we get glimpses of them walking through. And I think there's 27 cameras (laughs) and they have no idea that they're being videotaped the whole time. We get to see this montage. It's almost like a smash montage of them walking, dancing, cracking jokes, poking fun at things. It's, you know, there's a lot of joy and life in this episode but the whole thing is tinged with sadness because this is an activity that they did last year with Daniel.
1: Joe, in that episode, one of my favorite little moments of business is when the Texas ranchers walk through the property. And (laughs) And they're just
0: listing off all of these things. Wokeness, the homosexuals.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Because it's, it's just like how indigenous characters are treated as sort of wooden and one-dimensional in Mm -hmm. mainstream series and then here we have these ranchers and yeah that's exactly it they're walking through the woods and they're like wokeness don't forget the gay marriage like
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: it's amazing I love that scene.
0: It is. And it didn't strike me until after I had finished watching all eight episodes that really that's one of the few times we see white people. There's, mm-hmm. I think, about three or four white characters in this entire show, which feels really refreshing. Although this is also me queuing you up to acknowledge that the show is not perfect in its representation.
1: Yeah, I think it's really important that we note that When the show came out, there was a fair amount of criticism, particularly from Afro-Indigenous people. You know, the show is set in Oklahoma, which has Mm -hmm. a large Black population and particularly a large Black Indigenous population. Right. And we don't see that represented in the series at all, which is one thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's odd, right? Because it, it ends up being a hole in what is otherwise an incredibly interesting Mm -hmm. representative choice in the way the show has been like so carefully put together. Right. I'm going to give Joe an article to link in the show notes called representation and black and hip hop culture in reservation dogs from the ethnomusicology review at UCLA. And in that article, one of the things that the author Kyle T. Mays points out is that the show leans really, really heavily on hip-hop culture, mm-hmm. hip-hop language cues. And so to to have all of that, but to see such absence is an issue. Um, mm-hmm. This author writes, as an Afro-Indigenous person, I would love to have seen more three-dimensional Afro-Indigenous people in the media, including reservation dogs. While Native people remain largely invisible in white stream society, there are hardly any representations of Afro-Indigenous people. Right. And this, I think becomes a particular issue in the episode that really centers around Bear's dad. So Bear's dad is a rapper named Punkin' Lusty. (laughs) Yes, he is. And it's a very funny episode. Punkin' Mm -hmm. Lusty sings a song called Greasy Fry Bread, which is (laughs) wildly catchy. It was literally stuck in my head for about three days. Mm -hmm. And I think that You know, the show is leaning on a lot of what is funny about that, but a lot of what becomes funny about that is this sort of appropriation of blackness and markers of black culture. And I'll, I'll give you another quote from this article. It seems that this portrayal of a character is nothing more than a caricature of black masculinity performed by an indigenous person and written by indigenous authors. Some folks have screenshotted several instances in which Jody uses the N-word. He apologized for it on Twitter and Instagram, but it is about this use of sort of quote-unquote black language. Right. Without representation,
0: right?
1: Mm-hmm. So this article gets into a big question about like what does it mean to appropriate and does appropriation always have to be done by the dominant group nope. or can appropriation happen between communities? Yep. And the issue here is that there's no acknowledgement of the existence Mm -hmm. of Afro-Indigenous people while these tropes are being leaned on so heavily for humor. And you know, this isn't the first time we've seen this critique. And actually, you know, 2021 was a big year for this critique being sort of mainstream. When um, Lin-Manuel Miranda released In the Heights, similar criticism, right? You're setting a story in Washington Heights, and there's almost no Afro-Latinx folks. It's Mm -hmm. that's that's weird right that's a choice that you're making and maybe we need to talk about that choice in more concrete terms
0: yeah i don't think
1: it takes anything away from how innovative and interesting the show is to also point out that Mm -hmm. it's not perfect and i think that sterling harjo seems to have taken that criticism on board and has said that he agrees and that there will be representation of Afro-Latinx characters in season two, which has been greenlit. Mm -hmm. So I really am interested to see where that goes, because I think that, you know, we have two options when we're faced with criticism, right? We can shut down or we Mm -hmm. can see if we can build a more inclusive final product. And it really does seem like Harjo is interested in the latter.
0: Yeah, and I think this is one of the benefits of having it as a TV show, right? Like Lynn mm-hmm. manuel Miranda can only say, well, I'll try to do better in future projects, whereas Harjo can say, I have a second season, I can do better, I can do differently. I also feel like this is a good opportunity to acknowledge that this might have been less of a grading issue for the unrepresented community, if there were more examples to draw from like (gasps) if we didn't have to pin all of our hopes on a single tv show for representation i mean i don't want to say that the criticism wouldn't be valid because it probably still would be for all the reasons you just mentioned and yet the simple fact is is that it's really hard to be the one text in the ocean of otherness and then also receive these criticisms because at the end of the day it's like well no one else is even trying. And yet, because this is the only representation we get when we don't see it all happening, we still have to make these arguments.
1: And it's interesting that you say that because uh, a successful Indigenous creator in the territory now known as Canada, the director who made Rhymes for Young Ghouls, which, mm-hmm. by the way, I think our Alora Jane is in, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yes,
0: yes, yes, she is.
1: He was quite vocal on Twitter about exactly that point, which is like, why are we trashing this series that exists Mm -hmm. because it's not perfect? And I think that it goes both ways, but it really does come down to exactly as you're saying, Joe, like, this can't be a Highlander thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, FX can't be like, (laughs) well, we've made our one Indigenous show, so now we never have to do that again, which seems to be the tactic that, like, most... Networks and producers have taken if they even create one. Instead, what we need is we need enough art so that it's okay that sometimes there's bad art, right? Mm -hmm. It's something that we've talked about a lot with like female directors. Mm -hmm. There need to be enough women directed projects so that when one sucks, everybody doesn't turn around and go, well, I guess women can't direct, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? The same thing is true of art that emerges out of marginalized cultures and communities. It's not fair that it has to be all things to all people. And Mm -hmm. yet at the same time, if you're an Afro-Indigenous person who's been waiting for that representation and you see Reservation Dogs and it's eight episodes and you never see yourself represented and in Mm -hmm. fact you kind of feel like you're being mocked, that sucks too.
0: It absolutely does. I mean, I know (laughs) there's probably a lot of white settlers who feel represented, well, not the butt of the joke from the texans who walk through in the one episode <laughs> but the, we know for a fact that there are a lot of people who are like oh these days you know it's gonna be all women it's gonna be all people of color it's going to be you know trans non-binary all these and we're like yeah it's because representation still matters because there are still people not seeing themselves depicted on screen or feeling like they're the butt of jokes and it's like It sucks. Like, this is why we need to continue to strive to do better because a show like this shouldn't feel like it's revelatory. And yet it absolutely does. I'm a couple of episodes in and I'm thinking, wow, I haven't seen a white character except for that dumb guy who runs a scrapyard. How (laughs) refreshing. I shouldn't be feeling that in 2022. But this is where we are. So we just need to keep pushing forward.
1: The show is also very interested in connections across communities. I think one of the most interesting characters, perhaps in the back half of the series anyway, is Bill Burr, who guests as Mm -hmm. Garrett Bobson, the driving test guy, the driving examiner um, (laughs) (laughs) for Laura Jane's driving test. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing about that character is like, so he was her teacher. In fact, he was her basketball coach who she told to go F himself. And we get all of this... (laughs) richness of Alora's character from those interactions right we know that when the going gets tough Alora leaves right and mm-hmm. now she's trapped in this situation where she's doing this driving test and she says to him, like, just fail me. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to just fail you. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to keep at this away. together. I'm not yep. going to walk away. And over the course of the episode, we learn that he was friends with her mother who mm-hmm. gave him a nickname that he thought meant that he was noble. And um, yep. what really meant that he was toilet. a toilet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what's nice about the way Bill Burr plays that character is he's able to laugh at himself, mm-hmm. right? And he's able to see the strange position he's at in this community, the privilege that he has, but also the extent to which he's not part of a lot of the in-jokes around him. Mm -hmm. And he accepts all that with this good humor that makes him really likable in the Mm -hmm. role when he could have turned out to be another scrapyard guy, right?
0: Yeah, but he's also not a white savior. He doesn't just come in and save the day. I mean, sure, he does show kindness to her by giving her her driver's license even though she cannot parallel park she
1: 100 percent should not have a driver's license no
0: (laughs) but yeah i mean i i like that we get this white character who comes in is interesting who gives us a decent amount of exposition who ends up for i'm gonna say it for a show that is dealing with indigenous characters which as a white settler i'm very used to seeing issues of addiction being portrayed Mm -hmm. as like a huge issue right and Mm -hmm. really this is one of the only episodes in the eight that deals with uh addiction and drinking and alcoholism and it all seems to come up through him
1: his daughter he's the
0: one who talks about his daughter and who talks Mm -hmm. about her mother who died in a drunk driving accident And I thought that that was interesting.
1: Yeah. And it's important to note that she's been asking the adults over and over again throughout the series to tell her anything about her mother. Mm -hmm. And no one does. No one does. It's not out of cruelty. It's like everybody is too emotional about her mother's death. They Mm -hmm. don't feel like they can talk about it. And so on the one hand, Bill Burr has this sort of critical distance from it so that he can actually share some Mm -hmm. details with her. It's just such a moving relationship between the two of them. Like, I really liked it. And I really thought it was helpful to contextualize the trauma mm-hmm. that she has undergone. Because that's also the episode where we find out that she's the yes. one who found Daniel. Mm-hmm. Because it explains why she pushes everyone away. But it also shows her with a character who's not going to be pushed away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, it's just, it's really lovely. It, it gives them both yeah. a lot of growth.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why it's the standout episode. I found Mm -hmm. it challenging to then watch the finale because the finale goes a little too broad for my liking. Like, we really get, there's some ridiculous humor, and I think it's actually representative of a lot of the jokes in the rest of the show. But coming on the heels of such an emotional, poignant, really just character-driven episode, I felt a little bit let down and it felt a little too simple in setting up uh okay let's explode some of these relationships so that we have somewhere to go in season two
1: i think what i almost wanted them to do is have reshoot it so that the contents of episodes six seven and eight are happening simultaneously Mm. if that makes sense okay because what ends up happening is yeah we have two back-to-back extremely emotional episodes right In the hunting episode, we find out just how deeply impacted Willie Jack has been, which Mm -hmm. is a bit of a revelation because Willie Jack is like the kind of brash one
0: who doesn't
1: let her emotions show. But here we see her. And more importantly, we see how deeply connected to the community Willie Jack is. And we start Mm -hmm. to see the cracks in the California plan, right? Willie Jack doesn't (laughs) actually want to leave. Like she wants to be with her family. And does she feel capable of making that decision is sort of the question that we're left with at the end of that episode Mm -hmm. and likewise in the final episode it is important that we get to the place that we get to at the end sure But but because it follows those two deeply moving episodes to have you know to have uncle brownie on a roof trying to redirect the tornado like Mm -hmm. It's funny, but the humor seems really out of place. Yes. So yeah, I was wondering if you could have all that happening, but shoot the episode so that those events are happening simultaneously as opposed to one after the other, if it might have worked better.
0: (sighs) I am inclined to agree, but it would go against the format of the show.
1: Totally. Yeah, that's a fair point.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think in a way they almost dug themselves into a problem spot like mm-hmm. i was trying to think oh i wonder if you could have ended the show on episode seven or even gotten to the point of do we actually want to leave and leave that as the cliffhanger as opposed oh. to having Laura Dannon and bear have their big blowout in the church basement and her decide that even though she knows nothing about jackie she's apparently going to drive across the country with her it, it just all felt a little too fast
1: Yeah, the emotional stakes of her abandoning Bear didn't feel honest in a show where all of the emotional stakes have felt so honest since the very first Mm -hmm. minute when they steal the truck together, you know? And they've been through so much in the last year. And it's true that Allura's discontent is built up over the season, Mm -hmm. but not enough for me to believe that she would abandon Bear like that.
0: No, no. Yeah, I agree. Uh, With that said... I will watch the heck out of season two whenever it drops. And I'm very excited to see some of the changes that are going to go on. Because, you know, it's a question of if season one is dominated by this discussion about leaving and going to California and gently teasing out the truth behind what happened to Daniel, where does that leave us for season two? Is Mm -hmm. it going to be that Allura has left and we have to process the gap that she leaves in everyone's lives? And if so, I mean, you have to find a way to keep her around because I think that Deverly Jacobs is the best actor of the teens and the show will lose too much if you get her off screen for too long.
1: Yes, absolutely. She is, she is the strongest of the four for sure. And she's also very compelling to watch. It would be sad to have the Mm -hmm. show progress without her. And it would also be sad to have the show's focus split like if we yes. we spend a couple of episodes following Alora and the other back home, yeah, I think it will too. And I'm, I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it.
0: <laughs> I think because there's too many fun adventures that they can be getting up to at home, and I also. Yes.
1: I I mean, I think it could be interesting
0: to see this story tackle a road trip, if only because hopefully we would start to see it through a different kind of eyes, right? Because (gasps) of the relationship to land.
1: Maybe Cheese and Big go on the road together to find Laura. I'd watch that. (laughs) I'd watch the heck out of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It sounds weird to say because... There's a place at the center of the show. And yet I also don't entirely feel like I understand how the res works. And I do Mm -hmm. want a little bit more of that in season two as well.
1: I agree. Totally.
0: I mean, as white people, let's really demand it.
1: (laughs) Here's what the white people want to see in this show next season.
0: Yeah, please accommodate our needs now oh gosh okay um so brenna if people want to talk reservation dogs with us actually i i should one final piece i just want to acknowledge in case people don't know the show is a play on quentin tarantino yes just wanted to acknowledge it because if you, we haven't said it i didn't want somebody to be like oh they don't get the joke
1: um actually you guys
0: actually there's a whole sequence where they walk down the street in suits and slow motion and you didn't talk about it yeah we got it we got it
1: we got it it's also the poster on bear's wall we got it we Mm -hmm. got it Mm -hmm. uh so
0: they do (laughs) want to talk about reservation dogs with us brenna how would they get in touch
1: you can find us on Twitter at HKHSpod or on the hashtag HKHSpod. If you want to get Joe just by himself to mm-hmm, talk specifically me. to him because you want to cut me out of the conversation for some reason, Fair. Joe, where do Fair. they find you?
0: I can be reached at B still in my remote, and that's the letter B.
1: And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And for anything longer, like, for example, Maybe you've been reading The Pigman by Paul mm-hmm. Zindel, and you want to follow up with some long-form comments, you can find us on email, hkhspod at gmail.com.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're not quite up to book club, so you still got a little time to get that response in, because next week, we are we're back with a... We're going to law school. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> We've already teased this, but I'm excited, because, yeah, I I don't know anything about this book, but the movie... Is just an absolute g-darn delight.
1: G-darn <laughs> delight. That's. The I'm trying thing.
0: not to swear. I'm out of habit. Uh, I'm sorry. I
1: would have gone with iconic.
0: Myself. <laughs> I object.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's what we're up to. You are reading Legally Blonde. You're rewatching that delightful film. Like I can mm-hmm. tell you already, it's going to be a celebratory episode. So oh, come 100%. back for that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're reading The Pigman for our next book club episode. And until next time, I will see you on the page.
0: And I will see you on the screen.
1: (laughs) Almost the entire cast and production team are indigenous North Americans in Mm -hmm. this book. And er, sorry, let me try that again. Yep.
0: Bread, greasy, greasy, fry bread. Sweat dripping down her face, working stove top. Greasy, fry bread. Greasy, greasy, fry bread. Slap the dough, slap the dough and watch the grease pop.